0: Heavenly Father, we pray that the words our lips have just sung would indeed be a true reflection of our hearts, that they would be filled with thankfulness, that we would see your Son, Christ, and all that he has done on our behalf, and that grace would not be an oft-used word or a mere concept, but would be a reality that fills our hearts and makes us glad, and it compels us to give our lives and our all to love, and to follow you. Father, be here in this time to make these things so we ask in your son's matchless name. Amen. Please be seated. So one of the well-known maxims of the Christian life is that most of us, indeed all of us, are educated beyond the level of our obedience. We are all educated beyond the level of our obedience. And this is true in lots of small ways in life too. Those situations in which we know what we ought to do, we just don't live that way. Examples. How many of us actually get that fifth bit of fruit or vegetable uh, every single day? Um, How many of us uh, stay out of debt? How many of us really don't text while driving, How many of us floss every day? How many of us, teenagers, listen to me, are careful when putting photos on Facebook? Hashtag best time ever will not seem so cool in 10 years uh, from uh, now. Um, how many of us smoke? 45 to 50 million people in the U.S. do. How many of us devote 7 to 8 hours a night to sleep? Very few of us. Our lives are full of situations where we know what we ought to do. Um, we just don't quite do it. Jesus concludes this grace-filled and challenging sermon with a conclusion designed to compel us not to do the same thing in our spiritual lives. Not to find that in our walk with him we are educated beyond the level of our obedience. He doesn't want us to be those people who look at his sermon and fold their arms and say, that great sermon, great sermon, Jesus. And then leave unchanged. Jesus wants more for you than that this morning. As we have reflected upon the great themes of this sermon and worked our way through it this fall, it has become clear to us that, that Jesus wants more than that for us this morning. He wants us to, to know him and be sure of his love for us. And he wants us to, to follow him and experience the freedom that is found when we live that life of grace. He says, are we as a people going to be that group that just plays at the things of the gospel? Plays at the things of Christianity? Are we going to be a people who find that these truths take root in our hearts and bring change to our lives? That is what Jesus wants for us this morning. And so he concludes his sermon with three contrasts. Three contrasts that are designed to, to concentrate our attention upon the need to respond to the words that he has spoken. Let's look at these three contrasts together. First of them comes in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 7. And look down with me as we see Jesus contrast the narrow and the wide gates. At verses 13 and 14 of chapter 7, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus starts his conclusion then with this dramatic and striking language that immediately conjures up a picture in our mind's eye. You can see yourself walking along the road one day and you come to this fork and on one side there is this wide gate and down that path you can see that the sun is shining and and many people are surging down that path. Then you turn to your right and you see a narrow gate and as you look further down that path the way looks cold and it only admits one person at a time. And then as you are standing there deciding which way you ought to go, a passerby says to you, don't be fooled by appearances here. Don't be fooled by how things look because this wide gate actually leads to destruction. If you enter through this wide gate, it will go well for you at first. But in the end, you will find like lemmings off a cliff, the result will be destruction. And likewise, this narrow gate isn't what it appears to be either. This narrow gate that looks like it is hard actually broadens out into sweeter pastures, broadens out into life itself. And Jesus tells us this, this uh, pictures for us this scene in order to confront us with our eternal destiny. In order to confront us with our eternal destiny, he has made clear time and again throughout this sermon that each and every one of us has a soul that will live on forever, live on in the destruction of hell or in the life of heaven, that he has created us with a soul that will never die but will continue to exist for eternity. And Jesus says, when it comes to this decision as to what you will do with your soul, don't base your decision on on popularity. Don't base your decision upon where the crowds are going. Don't be fooled into thinking that there are safety in numbers. And and don't base your decision upon ease, this wide gate that that promises an easier life and, and fools you into thinking that it will really make you happy. Instead, Jesus says, make your decision based upon your destination. Let where you want to be dictate the decisions that you're making today. We call this dressing for the wedding. Have you ever been, going to, ever been on your way to a wedding and you're wearing a suit or a tux or a kilt and... Um, <laughs> Or perhaps you're wearing you know, a, a gown or a skirt of some description. And as I pointed out to the first service, a skirt and a kilt are not the same thing. <laughs> so you're in some sort of very formal dress and you're on your way to this grand occasion. And then you realize you know, that the, the gas light is on. So you stop and you get out of your car and you start to pump gas. And then the people around kind of look at you. Because in a gas station, it feels weird to be dressed up to the nines. You're in this context where your clothes sort of make you stand out and feel a little awkward. But what's going to happen? You're going to get back in that car. You're going to make your way to the wedding. And when you get there, you're going to fit right in. And you want your uh, clothing choices not to be driven by the gas station, but by your destination, which is the wedding itself. You show up to the wedding in jeans and flip-flops, then you're going to feel awkward. And so Jesus says to us, when you're making the decision over what will happen for your soul, Dress for the wedding. Don't be lulled into the immediacy of the moment, but make your decision based upon where it is that you yourself want to end up. He says to us, have you entered by this narrow gate? Have you realized that whatever our world might say and however our world might suggest, you be happy. There is a danger for our souls that comes in our separation from God as the result of the things that we ourselves have done. And he calls us to come to this narrow way, to find him as the way, the truth, and the life, to ask forgiveness and ensure that our souls will be at rest for eternity. Come, he says, enter by the narrow way. Having considered our eternal destinies, Jesus moves on to a second contrast that's really designed to draw our attention, and not towards eternity, but towards earth, towards time, and really towards the, our, our earthly influences. He does this by contrasting uh, true teachers and false teachers, and this section really runs from verse 15 through to the end of verse 23. Um, if I ask you to share two or three of the people that have most influenced you in this life, who are the people that come to mind? When you think of those people that have had the most impact upon you, who are the personalities, the faces that that come to your mind? Because we know that that no man is an island and we are all greatly influenced by those who are around us, all greatly impacted by the company that we keep. And that can be a great blessing or a great danger. And Jesus warns us about who we are influenced by. He warns us about particularly those false teachers in order that we might be forearmed, forearmed against them. He tells us how you can go about spotting a bad influence or a false prophet and gives us three signs First of all, he says you can spot a false prophet by their agenda. Look with me at verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. He says, Be careful about surrounding yourself with people and being influenced by people who look the part and dress the part and keep up appearances, but really are only interested in you as long as they can get something from you. Tragically illustrated uh, in a recent TV series called Preachers of L.A. that aired on the Oxygen Network. I don't know if any of you have had the misfortune of seeing it or even the trailers for it. It it follows six uh, millionaire megachurch pastors in L.A. And the spirit of the show is summed up by one of the preachers who says, uh, P. Diddy, Jay-Z, they're not the only ones who should be driving Ferraris and living in large houses. Thus said the Lord. Never, right? Um, this spirit where uh, leaders in the church are, are using the church in order to advance their own agendas and their own goals. And so it is for us. We must beware not to surround ourselves with people who are only interested in us as long as they can get something from us. Whether that is influence or power or access or, or whatever it may be be influenced instead by people whose agenda is Christ. second way you can spot a false teacher, a false prophet, comes in verses 16 through 20, where Jesus makes it really clear that you can spot them by their actions. Let's look at these verses together. You will recognize them, the false teachers, by their fruits, by their actions. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus says, actions speak louder than our words. And when the rubber meets the road, the testimony of our lives is worth more than the confession of our lips. And he says that we're not to be influenced by hypocrites who do one thing and say another. Rather, we're to be influenced by people who have integrity, whose words and lives are integrated into one meaningful whole. These are the ones that should, we should have pour into our lives and influence us. The third thing he says is in verses 21 and 23 where he shows us you can also spot a false teacher by their attitude. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. Jesus says that false teachers, bad influences, are full of themselves. They are self righteous and they will point to the things that they have achieved and to the things that they have done in order to get the approval and acceptance and influence over you and other people and even God Himself. He says that we are not to be influenced by people who are thus impressed. Uh, with uh, their own works and with their own standing. Uh, Certainly there's some mystery to these verses that it's possible to exercise spiritual gifts and yet not have a personal relationship with Christ. But the bottom line to it is really clear that uh, public achievements are no guarantee of personal salvation. And Jesus says, beware, don't be influenced by such people. Don't be influenced by people who are always pointing to themselves. Instead, be influenced by people who will always point you to me. And this is a helpful word for us, especially in our day and in our age, to consider who are those people that exert great influence in your life now? Who are those people that you have allowed and are inviting to pour into your life to shape and form the kind of person that you are? Who are you living uh, this life with in such an intimate way that they are having an impact upon who it is that you are becoming? And it's important that we answer this question thoughtfully because uh, we live in a day of um, just uh, saturated with opinion and saturated with so-called experts. And in a sense, of course, this is great because technology gives us access to, to, to good influences. But in another sense, it's dangerous because any fool can distribute his folly 140 characters at a time. We need to be thoughtful and reflective about who it is that is influencing our lives. I wonder if Jesus says to us this morning, beware. Are you caught up in the name-dropping culture of D.C.? Will you like to be influenced by those who have achieved much and can point towards what they have done? Are you influenced by those who will point you toward Jesus? Having entered the narrow gate, Jesus says, surround yourselves with with people who will will help you on this path. So Jesus uh, focuses our attention upon our eternal destiny in his first contrast, upon our earthly influences with his second. And then he moves to conclude his sermon with these words where he asks us to examine our life's foundation, by contrasting the rock and the sand. And let's look at these verses. If you've been around the church, you'll, you'll know them. If you were ever in a Sunday school class, you'll have had a lesson on them. But let's read them again. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine, that is everyone who hears this whole sermon and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock." The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded in the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. A few observations about this parable. First, Just note that the difference between the true follower, the difference between the follower and the fake, is not always obvious. It's not always obvious. On the outside, both men look the same. They have the same desire, which is to build a home for themselves. And we have no indication that the houses they built looked any different. You had to dig deep in order to see the differences between these two men. And so it is for us that the only one who knows where your heart really is this morning are the Lord and yourself. It's easy for us to go through the motions. The differences aren't always obvious. second observation is that the difference between the follower and the fake is not found in circumstances. We read that for both men, was time, as time passed, Uh, The rains uh, fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against their houses. And so it is the same for us, that following Christ is no guarantee that the storms of life won't come. In fact, it's a guarantee that they will. In this world, we will have uh, trouble. Third observation is this, though, that the difference between uh, the follower and the fake is revealed in the end. It's revealed in the end. Uh, The wise man took his time. Progress was slow, but he did the hard work, digging deep in order to build his house upon the rock. The foolish man we read was in a hurry, didn't think beyond the present moment, and built his house on sinking sand. And in the end, only one of these builders survived. In the end, only one of these builders survived. And Jesus asks us this morning, What is it that you're building your life upon? What is it that you're building your life upon? Are you building your life upon the rock that is Christ? If you're not, if you're building it upon anything else, then you will find that in the end, it sinks beneath your feet Jesus tells us this story because he knows what we're like. He knows how we're caught up in the immediacy of the moment and the tyranny of the urgent. And he knows that we need to hear this word, that he has more for us this morning, more for us than the world has to offer. He offers us in himself this home, in himself this foundation, this foundation that will enable us to persevere and make it to the end. Jesus concludes this sermon with this word of challenge are we playing or are you going to build uh, our lives upon me it's a challenging idea that we are not to be educated beyond our level of obedience but i want to encourage you that this is not the kind of obedience that we want to be educated beyond what do i mean by that i mean i don't eat five bits of fruit and veg because pizza is better right <laughs> and so i enjoy the thing i choose more than the thing I reject. And not so in the gospel. Flick back to the start of Matthew 5. Let's just think about this gospel life that Jesus is giving us for the living by his grace. At page 809 of your pew bible chapter 5. He opens up with this series of blessings that come to those who are his children. Verse 13, he tells us about how we can be salt and light and live purposeful lives that make a difference. At verse 21 and following, he tells us about anger and how we can be free from that bitterness of spirit that so often consumes us all. At verse 27, he talks about lust and shows us how we can live a life of of purity that is free from guilt. At verses 31 through 37, he talks to us about marriage and commitment and how we can have relationships that flourish here on earth. At verse 38, through the end of the chapter, he talks about retaliation and loving our enemies and how we can live a life that is not burdened by bitterness. In verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 6, he goes on to talk about giving to the needy, about how we can be generous with our possessions so that we don't get caught up with the counterfeit joys of this world. At verse 5 and on, he talks to us about prayer and fasting and how we can have an intimate relationship with God that will bring us peace even in the storms. At verse 19 of chapter 6, he talks about not laying up treasures on heaven and not wasting our lives with trivial things that will just turn to dust. Instead, he tells us, verse 25, we don't need to be anxious about anything, that there is no circumstance in our lives where we cannot rest and be at peace because of him. Chapter 7, he goes on to talking about judging others, being free from the endless comparison of self to those around. And then he concludes his sermon by saying, this life is yours for the living. This life is yours for the living. The freedom that comes with the life of grace is yours. So don't be educated beyond your level of obedience because to do so is to sabotage your own joy. I want it to be true of me and I really want it to be true of this church that we are a people who don't just talk the talk, but also walk the walk. That we are a people who, when the rubber meets the road, will find that our confessions about grace and unity in the gospel will be mirrored in the lives that we lead. That we will be a people who, for Christ's sake, enjoy the gospel life that he gives us. Let me pray for us. Father, there's a sense in which every single one of us is is a hypocrite. We are hypocrites because so often our lives and our lips are not in unison. So often we don't follow you as we ourselves want to, let alone as you have called us to. And so, Lord, there's there's great freedom in, in hearing your call to gospel living. Because we recognize that, that for us a life of grace is, is possible. That we won't always be caught in this cycle of hypocrisy. But because you have lived and because you have died and because you have risen again. We are beloved children and with us you are well pleased. And as your beloved children we have the freedom to walk in these things. Not to gain your approval but to demonstrate we already have it. And so Father we ask that you would make us a people in a church who follow Christ with our lives and not just with our lips. That you would enable us to um, make the most of this life that you have given us for the living. Lord, we pray now in the quietness of our hearts to reflect upon these things and to hear uh, the challenge that you have placed before us in this section of your word.